Welcome to the Vine Church Podcast. Today we're joined by my new friend, Melissa Kruger. And Melissa is a significant leader in the Gospel Coalition. And we're going to learn more about that. She's written a number of books. Um, and so we're really excited to have her on the podcast today. So Melissa, welcome to the Vine Church Podcast Conversations. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So maybe you could just start by telling us a little bit about um, who you are and your what you do and people that you love and anything else you want to share with us. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad to. Um, I am wife to Mike. Um, he, uh, my husband is president of Reformed Theological Seminary here in Charlotte. And so that's why we've lived in Charlotte all these years, Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and we have three kids. Um, my oldest Emma is now 20. She is a sophomore or now she'll be a junior, I guess, at, at UNC here at Chapel Hill. And my son will be a senior in high school. He is 17. And my youngest will be a freshman in high school who is 14. So we are moving fully into high school and college students, which I can't quite believe. Um, and yeah. I work at the gospel coalition. I'm director of our women's initiatives and, um, which means I get to do a lot of fun things. I get to work on book projects for women's content. I get to work on editorial for women's content on the website and I get to, um, run our conferences for, for women. So it's, um, great work. It's exciting to get to do. That's a big job description. <laughs> it is intense. Sometimes I feel like all oh, my hair is turning gray because of it. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. So how has this last year been for you guys? Just, you know, last 15 months of unprecedented things happening in our lifetime. Um, how are you guys doing? Um, yeah. How have you weathered this kind of cultural storm? Yeah. Well, it was particularly difficult because we were planning a conference for 10,000 women in June of 2020. Um, And clearly that was not able to happen, you know? And so each month that went by, we realized, oh, this is going to be a bigger problem than we realized. You know, at the beginning of it, you're kind of like, I'm sure it'll pass. You you hear these rumors and like, surely we'll, we'll still have this. It's going to pass. And then slowly it did not pass. And, um, so we found ourselves rescheduling, um, the conference and we thought we were rescheduling for April, 2021 at the time. And we thought that's so far out. Of course we'll be okay by then. Um, and we did, we we were able to have the conferences, but obviously there were still tons of COVID protocols and we learned more about guidelines and, ways to exit large amounts of people from a conference center in a safe way than we yeah. ever thought we would need to know. Um, so it added, it definitely added just a lot of stress. I'm sure it did at, at your church as well. Just in general, I think um, the feeling of not being able to meet with fellow believers and worship together, or even if you do to have the mask on and yeah. everything yeah. feels really muffled. And I'm sure for preachers, it's incredibly hard to yeah. look at an audience of yep. all mass people. You can't tell how anything's falling on yes. your audience. Yes. I mean, it's just been, it's been a tough, tough year. And I, I feel it, especially for, for leaders in the Christian world. I think the weight of everyone, you know, being in a tough place right. and you're in a tough place. Right. <laughs> so everyone um, is struggling with something. And even, even what is always hard, like one of my good friends lost her brother um, to a brain tumor during yeah, COVID. Yeah. So that's going to be hard any 
season. Right. But it was right. even more hard because she couldn't go say goodbye to him. They couldn't do a funeral. They couldn't do things. You know, so everything that was already hard got a little harder. Yeah. And then going to the grocery store got harder. Right. So it, you know, it's it's been a lot for for everyone, I think, out there. How um for your leadership role at the Gospel Coalition, um, did you feel like you guys were able to navigate the landmines of people's convictions and maintain unity. And how did you work through all that? Yeah, it was really tough. We had a lot of editorial calls about various things and really trying to serve the church. I mean, that's our biggest mission is to help. How can we help the church think through things like, should you meet? Should you wear a mask if you meet? Should you meet outside? What, what right. does all this mean for the church? These were huge issues that really, um, you know, really haven't been discussed before. Because to be quite honest, there's never been a pandemic in the, during a season when we could live stream. Right. Right. Like, so right. there have been pandemics before. Right. There have been you know, lots of things. But the, the resources we have technology wise in today's age is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so trying to just help, you know, a lot of pastors of hundred member churches whose wives have their iPhones and are now filming their sermons for their congregation. You try, how can we support um, different leaders in the church? That was our big um, conversation point at each editorial call. How can we help these leaders who are, who are faced with situations that no one teaches you in seminary, you know, um, (laughs) how to deal with these things. Right. And so that took a lot of, um, and, and also just trying to serve the church. We did a, um, day of prayer and fasting, um, trying to really serve the larger community by creating an event like that, that could help individual churches come alongside, but they didn't have to plan it. If that makes sense, like we could provide the resources. Um, so trying to do things like that, that could help serve the church when the church was so every leader in churches were so, um, burdened with just all of the changes they were facing. And so yes. that was, that was definitely our big um, attempt to care for, for those leaders in every way that we could. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I was talking to my teenage kids yesterday in the kitchen we were just having a conversation about this cultural moment and lots of different things and the overlap of the chaos of COVID and politics and, one of the things that's unique in our cultural moment, it feels like, is our access to information, mm. which in one sense is it feels like a really, really good thing and a, what a privilege. Mm. But at the same time, it also, I think, can give maybe the illusion of um, access to expertise that I don't have, meaning like I can read the same things that someone else is reading and this expert says this because I have access through the internet to that expert. In the past, I wouldn't have access to that expert unless I like went to the library and tried to like dig for some. And now every bit of information in the world is two clicks away. And so it's what can be so confusing, uh, especially for someone like me or like you that is had that is having to make decisions that are consequential about things where I don't have any expertise. But I got one person in my ear saying that those experts are idiots and another person in my ear saying those experts are really experts. And it's just like, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it's just, this is a very strange time to try to, I don't know, 
this cultural moment has exposed those things for me. I don't know if you felt the same way. Absolutely. It was funny that the conference we were planning in 2020 that got moved to 2021 was on the book of James. And I had spent um, the year before memorizing kind of James one, which mm-hmm. says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, yep. <laughs> various kinds, including pandemics, because you know, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing. And then it goes on. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. And I was like, these were the perfect verses to have memorized right before pandemic that there are going to be various types of trials. And when you lack wisdom, ask God. Yes. Um, And further on into James, you get into, you know, you don't know if you'll be alive tomorrow, basically. How can you know, let your yes be yes and your no be no, but don't make all these big plans and, yeah. and things. And I was like, wow, this book was perfect yes. for um, a pandemic season. But it definitely, I think, I, I think the good of it was it forced all of us who in America are so used to all of our, or in the West, really, we make plans and we make assumptions and, you know, I I make plans for two years from now. Oh, we're going to do this conference. We're going to do this. And it's like the Lord saying, I know I still control the whole universe and I I can still stop everything in this world um, from happening. And, and so therefore you can pray to me for wisdom because I do think we were all forced into choices and decisions that were really hard to decide. Even for us to have the conference in April was a really hard decision. We were like, yes. what if there's another spike? Right. What if people come to this conference and get sick and die? I mean, that's that, that weighed on us. Oh, um, yeah. oh yeah. Yeah. And so we just, I think it hopefully made us um, all more prayerful as people because we, what used to be easy decisions became became prayerful ones. Um, and that could be good news that maybe we learned greater dependence on the Lord, but it, it definitely came after a rough, rough year. Yeah, I, I feel like for us, especially at our local church, um, my subjective sense is just everything we've gone through in the last 15 months, um, if we've proven to stay united, and I think we have, like it just strengthens, you know, mm-hmm. it's like James one, like the testing of your faith. What does it do? It develops perseverance, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, I think another way to just say you're stronger yeah, uh, to endure. And I just have this sense like, okay, we're on the backside of this thing now. We, you know, we don't have to wear masks anymore in Madison, you know, unless, you know, you want to, um, okay. or, you know, aren't vaccinated or whatever, however people want to, however people want to, uh, I feel like I'm stepping on a landmine just saying that. Um, <laughs> however people want to, you know, their conscience wants to lead them in that. Um, but, you know, just like, yeah, that subjective sense that this is kind of behind us um, in the way that it wasn't 12 months ago. And uh, and we made it to, and we're still together. Like, yeah, we lost a couple of people here and there, you know, different convictions about different things. But for the most part, man, we made it. And that just feels really strengthening as we look to the future. And that's one of the blessings that I feel like mm. I'm seeing from this. Like it has produced what James 1 promises. Mm. Yeah. And I'm I'm actually kind of hopeful. It, it made us pivot in certain ways. Um because TGC is actually, you know, is a worldwide organization. So because we all had to learn Zoom. Now we were thankfully Zooming before 
um, the pandemic. So our team, because we're all over the country, we zoomed regularly anyway, Yeah. but it made us learn how to use it in ministry context. So we did like an international women's training during the pandemic that wouldn't have happened. Right. You know, had that not occurred. We had, we were supposed to do a training network events all over the country that all got canceled. Um, but we were able to do this international one. And so there's sometimes you, what, what gets taken away allows the Lord to grow another area. And so I'm really hopeful going forward that maybe what has happened will be an ability to get better resources to the worldwide church. Um, yeah. I even heard from a missionary, a friend, who had been in Ethiopia. And she said, the missionaries there were saying, well, this year has been so hard in a lot of ways, all of the resources that normally we can't get access to were online. Yes. So they got all this great teaching that they don't normally get. And it, yeah, it just made us realize, oh, wow. If we can provide more resources for people who are doing work all over the world, what a great thing. Yes. Um, yeah, it's the power of the internet is like the worst thing in the world, and it's the best thing in the world, exactly. just depending on how exactly. it's, how it's used, you know. So, Melissa, tell us about um, the Gospel Coalition. We just had Colin Hansen on a couple of weeks ago, oh, and um, so we've learned. Our church has learned, and and our church is, um, you know, we're aligned with Gospel Coalition, and we're a fan of a lot of things that are published and share those things and. So I think people kind of know what the Gospel Coalition is, but I'd love to hear from you specifically in your leadership role of women's initiatives. Um, what are you most excited about these days and what are you looking forward to? And what is the Gospel Coalition kind of uh, structured and, 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 and leaning into uh, in mm -hmm. terms of your leadership in the organization? One thing I love that you actually kind of hinted at a, a little bit, um, even, even in what you said about the gospel coalition was, you know, we love a lot of the articles, <laughs> but I, you probably don't agree with all of them. And I actually think that's a really good thing. Um, sure. We're a coalition and not a denomination. Mm -hmm. um, and so we don't, you know, there, there can be lots of issues that people read our website and they say, I don't agree with that article. And I'm like, that's great actually mm -hmm. to me to have a place on the internet where we can have some days you're like, that is exactly the article I'm cheering on and saying, I needed to read that today. And then maybe this article frustrates me. And I think that's, a, that's a lost art in our culture today. It's sure. like, Oh, we can only listen to the extremes yes. or really only listen to other versions of ourselves. Exactly. And that really concerns me. Yep. <laughs> um, so I want to learn from people who maybe maybe think differently than me on a topic, but who are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're trying to create um, that within orthodoxy. Here, here are different viewpoints on things like mask wearing, or here are different viewpoints, um, you know, on baptism or what. Yeah, and these are important issues. They're not. They're not um, unimportant or unbiblical issues that we're just talking about, but important issues that godly people have fallen down on different sides of. And so we're trying, I get excited to create a place where conversations can happen. Yeah. Um, and I think there are too few of those. I think we live in a really polarized culture yes. where we almost demonize opposing views. And I'm, that that concerns me deeply. Um, in the Christian world, but in the non-Christian world as well, when when views aren't able to just be listened to and understood, I would like to be charitable to people who disagree with me in such a way that I could argue their point for them. 
Well said. And I, yeah, I think there's too little of that in our, in our culture. So I'm always excited about what we're doing on that front of um, just trying to get voices to be heard and, and that we're listening to different sides of points of view. As far as women um, in the church, one thing I love, I, I feel like TGC has led the way, and I can say this as a participant first before I was actually running it. When I, w- I was working at my church and women's ministry, I worked at my church for about 10 years. And I went to the first women's conference as an attendee in 2012. Um, and it, for the first time, was a women's conference where I felt like I belonged. Um, it, it was a women's conference that just taught the word of God. Yeah. Um, and it was so encouraging to me. And I feel like for a lot of women, it has been a breath of fresh air to be able to just study God's word as women. Um, and that to be normalized and, and appreciated and valued. And so I get one thing I love about what we do at the gospel coalition is we work beside each other as brothers and sisters. You know, it's not that, Oh, Melissa's a woman. So she's planning all the women's events. Uh, You know, I actually work with a team and on my team, the the person who really is behind, (laughs) behind the events is Seth, a friend of mine, he's, he's planned all of our TGC events and we work together um, to put these on. And so it's brothers and sisters working side by side um, to, you know, hopefully encourage the church. And I love that. I love, um, I work with Colin, uh, you know, regularly editorially, and we're all on that editorial call talking through how do we serve church leaders? And we believe that church leader is a pastor, but that church leader is a small group leader. That church leader is a woman who's discipling other women. You know, that church leader is a large, large swath. It's not just the pastor. Yeah. Um, and so I love getting to work with a great team, <laughs> um, doing ministry together. It, it feels like Romans 16, where Paul you know, thanked both men and women for their ministries. And I think we see too little of that in the church. Um, and I really hope to see more um, family style church, you know, where we, we really believe every person in the body matters. Um, and so I, I'm very thankful for what TGC is doing in, in, cause we're obviously a complementarian organization, but so we, we believe in, you know, male eldership and pastorship and all of these things that I you know, fully believe in, but we, we, we really want to see men and women working together in the local church context and encouraging that, um, as the way the Lord worked and as the body goes forward, that every part's necessary. And so yeah. I get really excited about that. Man, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I want to come back to the complementarianism thing, but um, just in terms of the Gospel Coalition Women's Initiatives, uh, like what's your title? Like Director of Women's Initiatives. Okay, great. I wasn't making up the initiatives word. I was like, is that yeah, right? No. Um, so, what do you see coming down, like coming down the pipe, like in the next two, three, four, five years? Yeah. One thing I'm really excited about, we're starting some women's cohorts for women's ministry leaders. One thing I found when I worked on a church staff was I, it was hard to find people to talk to about the job I was doing. Um, you have pastors go to things like the Southern Baptist convention or an X 29 convention or PCA general assembly. Yeah, yeah. They had these places they could meet up. And a lot of times as a woman, you feel like, um, 
is there anyone else out there on staff yeah. doing this? Um, and so we're trying to create spaces where women who are on church staffs can meet and we'll do these actually through Zoom cohorts. So this is one thing that's come out of the pandemic that was an idea. Um, so we'll have one this fall and it's actually going to be really small. We're trying to keep them intimate. We'll have 20 some women on a call like this and we'll do training for how to do ideas of women's ministry in the local church. We'll also do one probably next year on how to teach the Bible um, in the local church you know, for women. And we're just trying to make these smaller cohorts for women who are doing this across the country. But my goal is one, to provide training in those areas, but two, to actually provide fellowship. I think what what the, the secret sauce will not be the training they get. They could get that on the internet somewhere. Yeah. Um, but it will actually be the relationships that are formed in the cohort that I I, I think will lead to lasting and beneficial um idea generating for the for the church. I know for me, I was in a Facebook group years ago called Women Who Write Stuff. And when I look back at the women who were in that group, they're all now publishing books. I mean, this was years, years and years ago. Um, and we just would chat with one another a lot. And um, that led to us all working on projects later together, sometimes together on things, but just um, it's been fun to watch. And so we're trying to create that space where women can form those relationships in a safe context that it's not going to be. Yeah. Put on Twitter the next sure, day sure, yep. <laughs> that you can have real conversations because sometimes to be quite honest in my real world, there's no one who's talking about a lot of the things that are happening kind of at a national level. I mean, they have no idea what's happening in certain spheres. Um, they haven't heard of certain books. And so it's nice to have a place of interest where other women are um, saying, Hey, what should we think about this book that came out and a place to talk about that? Um, that maybe isn't being seen by a million people. <laughs> yeah. That's really, really cool. Anything else you guys are thinking about on the women's side of things that like, is there going to be a new, another conference that you're already planning? And yeah. Yeah. We've got a, we've got a conference coming up. It's called, um, I'm, I'm really actually super excited about this. It's remember your joy and it's on salvation stories in the old Testament. Oh, cool. um, and so what we're going to do are, is basically look at the redemptive, story in scripture, but by looking at different stories of salvation all through the Old Testament. So like Noah and the flood, um, Isaac, you know, being saved you know, by the ram. Um, we're going to look at the, all these different Old Testament stories and look at how they each teach us an aspect of salvation. And so, um, and then obviously how they're all pointing to our greater salvation in Christ and basically how they're all part of the promise um, that happened in Genesis three, where you know, there's a seed that's going to come and the whole Old Testament narrative is kind of pushing forward. Where's the seed? You know, we're looking, you know, wh where's he going to be? Wh what's, what's happening? Is this the one? Is this the one? And every answer all through the Old Testament is kind of a mini salvation story. Right. Like Noah right. is saved in the ark, but right. Noah still dies. Right. He may have lived 900 years, but he still dies. Right. So where's the real, where's the real savior coming? And so we're going to study that. And we've actually written a Bible study to go with that. Um, that's out. And, and so we're looking forward to that and there'll be tons of, we'll have about 50 breakout sessions on all sorts of topics ranging from women's ministry to family life, to sexuality, you know, to teaching the Bible, all of those type topics will be discussed in the breakout sessions. Cool. 
Well, I'd love to chat with you just about complementarianism, if you'd be willing a little bit. Um, and I'm not, I'm not um, looking to stir up controversy or anything, but I'd just love to hear about your, your journey of coming to those convictions and, um, and how that worked for you. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to. I was actually raised, I was raised in an egalitarian context. Uh, I went, I was thankful I went to church every week, but I was, um, the the church um, and I was raised quick, in Melissa, was a, um, huh? Maybe just define that for some people listening to this podcast might not even know what those terms are. So That's maybe a you good question. Help us. Um, so I was raised in a church context. It was, it was a Methodist church, wonderful people, but we had male and female pastors um, at, at our church. And um, so, in high school, um, I was involved in a ministry called Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I really started reading my Bible and coming to an understanding of the gospel in a new way. And it was during that time that I came to convictions about complementarianism, which only means so egalitarianism would say men and women are completely equal and interchangeable um, in Anyway, whatever a man can do, a woman can do in some sense, like especially in the life of the church or in society um, and things like that. So if a man can be a pastor, a woman can be a pastor. Um, there's and they would they would often appeal to um, passages like there's neither Greek, Jew nor Greek, male nor female. So in the church context, aren't we all the same? Is, is where that would often come from. But um, as I read passages like in Timothy, where it said, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Um, for me, those passages just led to a conviction that men um, in the church should be pastors and our elders, um, but that women and men are equal in worth and dignity. Um, they were both created in the image of God, Amen. Um, but they just have different roles in the church and in the light in the home. Um, and so that's kind of what I mean when I speak of complementarity, um, equal in dignity, worth value, um, equal in the set in the greatest um, level of Jesus came and shed his blood for us. So there's no greater value than right. Christ dying for right. us. And he did that for men and women. <laughs> um, and, but that we have different roles in the life of the church and in the home. Um, now how those get lived out, I think we have to always be biblical. Um, I sometimes would say I get concerned that cultural norms or are, are put on the church that aren't necessarily in scripture. So I'm a big believer in what does the Bible say this should look like? And I get nervous when people go beyond that yes. in a lot of ways. Um, and yeah, yeah. And I've seen it happen on both sides. Uh, I've seen um, things that really concern me um, in the church and that really I don't think are right. Um, and yet I want to hold to what the Bible does say and obey that well. Yeah. So it's a complicated issue. Yeah, it really is. And um you know, the, the challenge is in the details sometimes mm -hmm. because yeah. it, it does feel like at a certain point as leaders, you're forced to make decisions that aren't necessarily um, chapter and verse about men and women. And it's going to be this and not this and this and not this in terms of how things are structured. And um, so I think it's okay to admit that, mm -hmm. that like, I, I feel that male only eldership is pretty clear. Um, 
like when is it when does an an authoritative teaching and we would say like opening up the Bible on Sunday morning, thus saith the Lord, that kind of teaching is is reserved for elders. Um, we would say elder candidates, and that would be again like that's just the decision. The Bible doesn't say that you have to have an elder candidacy process and then they can do authoritative teaching. And like, I mean, that's just a decision we've made. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And we feel okay with that before the yeah. Lord. And uh, there's lots of other examples I could give. Um, so I, I just feel like, um, yeah, the charity in the things that are unclear or not as clear. And some people would say that those things are clear. And anyway, we could go down that rabbit hole forever, but, and I think we ask sometimes too limited questions. So often, you know, we'll just ask who can preach right. rather than maybe asking the question, how, how will we publicly affirm the dignity and worth of women in yes. our church? So like, that's a totally different question. Yes. You, you know, it's really good to ask the other one. We need yes. to ask who should be preaching, Yes. but how are we, if, how are we going to affirm Oh, we need our sisters that this can't happen. Amen. You know, Amen. Th- this, this, they are so necessary in this body. And so, so sometimes it's, that's great to, to check that. Yeah. But then how will we do the other? And yeah. I think sometimes those questions we never get to. And Such a um, good point. that's what, that's where I get a little concerned sometimes is that um, we're, we're, and we, we, we 100% should ask what does the Bible ask us to do? But I, I get concerned that sometimes we forget. Um, like I say, when I talk about Romans 16 and Paul is just thanking both men and women, it's clear he had these real relationships yes. with women. He, he talked about Rufus, his mother, who had been a mother to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes I want to say, who's your spiritual mother? Mm-hmm. Um, to, to like pastors, you might need an older woman in the church who can kind of be like that sermon wasn't so great this week, but mm-hmm. loves you and is yes. going to, you know, she'll be praying for you yes. every day, yes. you know, but that's what a mom can do. You know, mom right. can look at your, be like, yeah, not so good. Yep. Um, and, but you love her cause you know, she loves you, mm-hmm. you know, like those family type relationships. Sometimes I think, um, churches have turned into a corporation yeah. with like a CEO versus, moms and dads and you know i just read an article that i just read an article that totally makes that point where if we have in our churches more of a ceo art ceo mentality or i'm sorry a business mentality then of course why wouldn't men and women be interchangeable Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but if we have a if the church is a family yeah that could be a little more comprehensible of like yeah the family the dad and the mom are not just interchangeable. They do have different roles. And so when eldership thinks of itself more in a fatherly way and, uh, or the biblical model would be shepherds. Um, but, but the fatherly thing really helps. I think me think rightly about it. I'm not the CEO of this church. I'm one Mm -hmm. of the fathers of this church. And that brings a different tone and a different mindset. And so if we think about fathers and mothers, um, that's really good. But I, I want to go back to what you said, cause I really want to unpack that and capitalize on that. Cause I think that's really, really helpful. And th- honestly, this is something our eldership has been doing, trying to do, uh, male only eldership in the last couple years, we preached, um, a series on gender, uh, for the glory of God. And, mm. and that was, that was uh, a result of us having just some really good conversations about, 
how can our complementarian convictions like make sure that men and women are flourishing? Mm. And so I think you're so right that sometimes we focus on the prohibitions, mm. but we don't focus on the admonitions of like, so it's not like, let's not focus on, you know, what can't you do, but how can we look at the giftings of men and women and just cause them to flourish? And so that led to some changes in how we structure Sunday morning and who's on stage and, you know, what's a, what's, what do we think is authoritative teaching and what isn't? And, um, but I, I'd love to just hear you speak to that some more. Like, how can you, <clears throat> for example, if you were asked to sit down with your typical complementarian elder board, um, what would you say to those guys to, to, to help them? Make sure, because they're the fathers of the church, and they're ultimately held accountable to structuring the family of the church. How would you advise them to structure the family of the church such that the the mothers or the women um, are flourishing? Um, mm. How how can they really screw it up, and how can they really do it well? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think one of the most important things is that we know each other. Uh, you, you, it's like, Amen. you'd hope mom and dad know each other. Relationships, <laughs> like, relationships. How, how confusing for kids when mom tells you one thing and dad tells you another thing. Yeah. And this happens in families sometimes. Amen. Like we, we have two things going on. Yeah. And this can happen in churches where the women's ministry is doing something completely different than the rest of the church. And there's no, it's like they never talked. Exactly. Um, and so sometimes I think we just need to, have discussions yeah I, I fully believe we need to have elders make the final calls on things and but I, I never I don't think that was ever intended to be without the input of women amen you know, just like my husband if he went in the closet and said well here's our family plan for the year <laughs> I'm like exactly. I'm like what are you talking about exactly. are we gonna talk about this exactly. um you know just more we we always just talk about this what happens in a normal family I think I mean at least our family if we decided Oh, where are we going to go on vacation this summer? We're going to talk about that because my husband wants me to want to go too. And I want to hear where he wants to go. So we're going to have that discussion as a family. Um, and then we may even involve the kids in that you know, and say, hey, what do y'all think? Um, and so I, I really do think just that more conversation could happen so that um, men and women are very aware of what's happening in the different parts of the church. And, and I think that just comes from being willing to ask one another questions. Like, can the elders meet with the women's leadership team and maybe just have a conversation? Hey, what concerns do you all have? Maybe you do a SWOT analysis, which is strength, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, and you do it together as a team. And yeah, maybe then the elders take that information and, you know, go and make decisions from it, but they've had a brainstorming time with the women leaders in their church, just to think through, Hey, the reason that per church picnic failed was because you did it at 3 PM, which was all the young kids nap time. Exactly. And so no one could come, you know, sometimes they just have perspective and the guys were thinking, Oh, it failed because it was this. Yep. And the women were like, actually, we know why the women didn't come. I mean, sometimes there's just a discussion and that of different people just know different things about what's going on in the church. And just to have the opportunity to say, Hey, here's just so you guys know, here's what 
women are frustrated about and they don't want to complain. Like yeah. a lot of women don't want to be seen as gripey or yep. they're really so thankful for what their pastors are doing. But so having the opportunity where I think those conversations can happen, maybe it's once a year, maybe it's once a quarter um, between different teams. But I think the more that's happening, um, the more we're going to act like a family. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Trying to foster genuine relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of my deepest convictions for ministry in any, any, any aspect like all healthy ministry flows from healthy relationships. And that is downstream from being made in the image of a, of a relational God, you know, a Trinitarian God who exists forever as a relationship of love. Um, mm. And man, like I've just seen that over and over again. If relationships go south, the church goes south. And if relationships on your elder board are messed up, the church can be messed up. If relationships between men and women and men and women leaders and there's, yeah, so I just, man, I so resonate with what you're saying. Like, just listening to each other <laughs> can cover a multitude of sins, you know? Yeah, and I'm a better, <laughs> I am better at what I do because I have brothers in my life who challenge me. Mm-hmm. You know, I I am, I mean, because editorially we get into this, you know, I, I, I mean, I am better at my thinking because I've wrestled through, I mean, different things with Colin Hansen, who you interviewed yep. on here. Um, like we've, we've talked about issues and we've talked about why, why this article is not going the right way. That wrestling is, makes me better. And, yep. you know, and it, it, it's I, both sides need the other. I mean, it wasn't good for Adam to be alone in the garden. And I don't think it's good for men or women to be separated in the church, you right. know? And so we need, we need each other. And, and it's actually a really beautiful partnership. And so often it gets put as a war and I'm just so thankful for the, I've had such great men in my life. I mean, that I'm so thankful for their, um, challenging of me and, um, pushing me in certain areas theologically and, um, and then being willing to take my challenges to them theologically and that back and forth is a, is a great blessing. So what would you say are some of the common misconceptions that you hear from women um, that you find yourself um, addressing kind of regularly uh, of like complementarianism is viewed as A, B, and C. And you're saying, yeah. I'm not sure it's really that. Let me help you understand what complementarian is. Complementarianism is. Um, <laughs> we need a new word. Yeah, it's too hard to too say. And syllables. spell check does not get it. No, it doesn't. Computer. Too many syllables. <laughs> Um, I think I think one of the biggest misconceptions in some ways is that, oh, you've checked your intelligence meter at the door um, to believe this. Whereas for me, I'll be honest. I mean, one of the challenges I give back to to women who who struggle with this and I say this with compassion and not. I, I don't say that I don't mean to say this lightly, but complementarity is not one of the hardest doctrines for me in scripture <laughs> um, that when I look at the doctrine of hell, to be quite sure. honest, like that some will spend an eternity apart from the goodness and love of God. Yeah. Um, that's really hard. Yeah. The problem of evil. Yep. That's really hard. And, you know, I, I mean, when I look in scripture and I, I see um, the effects of sin on the world and see these really hard. I mean, there are just, there are doctrines. I believe the exclusive nature of the gospel that Jesus is the only way to be saved. Yeah. 
That's hard. Yeah. That's a, yeah. <laughs> I, I believe all those things. And so I, I do want to say Christianity calls us to hard beliefs yeah. and it's not just this one, I guess is what, what I would always say, <laughs> you know? So I don't, this one is, I, if I can trust him with the other, I can trust him with this one. If that, right. if that makes sense and actually believe it's good. Um, so sometimes we'll say, oh, I kind of accept it, but I don't want to say it's good. No, this is human flourishing. Um, so, you know, when God says things like sex should be for marriage, sometimes we're like, oh, he's just a buzz. He's just keeping me from something. Right. And you're like, no, no, actually, this is for your good. And so complementarity is not to keep me from something or to give men something more it's actually how we're both going to flourish in the right context when it's lived out um, with spirit led people. Obviously, any institution like marriage is we look at marriage, and we're like marriage can be terrible. Yeah, but that's not the creator's fault. That's the individuals in it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I do want to say there can be complementary contexts that are are not a true vision of what complementarity should be. And Amen. we, yeah, it's okay to call that out. Just like a husband beating his wife is not a true picture of what marriage should be. You know, right. we can say there are wrong versions of, of any of these things, That's right. but that at the heart of what God intends is human flourishing in this for both men and women. And yeah. so I think to say, to be able to embrace that it's, it's not just, Oh, we'll just kind of deal with it and hide it away. But it's actually good because God commands it. Um, and it's how we're all going to flourish better. That's what I'd like to, to give and to encourage on this issue. Um, and that it doesn't mean I, if I think when it's done well, it means I look at my husband and I say, wow, I'm so glad I'm a woman because what you have to sacrifice to be a man and love me sacrificially and care for our family, I see the cost um, of what it takes you to serve me like Christ served the church. Mm -hmm. I, I look at that and I say, wow, it's so great to be a woman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and hopefully I'm, I'm doing such a good job loving him that he's like, I'm so glad I get to be a man and take, yeah. You know, in, in this beautiful thing rather than, um, oh, I wish I was that, or you get to do this and I don't get to do that. rather. I'm so thankful. The Lord made me woman. I'm so yeah. thankful. I, I hope men can say, I'm so thankful. The Lord made me a man. Um, and that it can be a joyful thing. Not a, um, not when we just can let go of self, it becomes beautiful. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's our biggest struggle. That is <laughs> mine, mine included. Yeah. <laughs> so well said, Melissa. So well said. I'd love to, talk about one of your books if that's okay um I, I i like the title and i'm intrigued um i haven't read it but i just love to talk about it um because i the the, the title is very intriguing to me the envy of eve mm. um tell us about that book and why you wrote it and what the the main themes in it are yeah and um, honestly um i never thought i'd write a book it was the first book i wrote um and it's it's something um, I still think about and talk, probably teach on more than anything else. And it's the notion of contentment. And what I really realized was that, um, and I think reading the Puritans a lot, you know, it's amazing. They talked about contentment a lot. We don't talk about contentment a lot in our day and age. And um, they it's really understood. It's hard to talk about contentment that, in, a, in a rich culture. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? It's, and, and when you have the internet around you, that's hard to be content. Mm -hmm. I totally mm -hmm. interrupted you. I'm sorry, but I just. No, it's so 
it's 100% true. I mean, we have more neighbors via Instagram <laughs> than anyone in human history, right? right. Um, and, and friends on Facebook and, and different things. But um, what I started to realize in my own life was I would want something and think, oh, once I get that, I'll be satisfied. Mm-hmm. And you get that. And then you're thinking, well, once you get that, like once you finally, you know, you find a spouse, I'll be satisfied. Then you get the spouse and you think, well, once he's out of grad school, we'll be okay. And once, then once we get in a house and can have kids, you know, and I started realizing, huh, maybe there's not a problem with my circumstances, but there's a problem with my heart. And so I, I started realizing this constant desire for more, if only, if only I would have this, if only I would have this maybe there's a deeper, what, what is the secret of contentment that Paul learned? And I think the secret of contentment ultimately is that we learn that God can suit us to whatever circumstances we are in. And he it's inner contentment that works outwardly rather than outward, perfect circumstances that work inward contentment. Like that switch. Say that again. Say that again. That's a great phrase. I want, I want to make sure people don't miss it. The outward versus in where we're, Yes. Yes. So it's, I don't even know if I can remember it. <laughs> like, can we replay it? Well, they can um, rewind it. <laughs> well, basically I can, I can probably find it basically that we often think outward, outward circumstances will produce inward contentment. But right. the reality is God works his spirit with us inwardly yes. to produce outward fruit of contentment. Yeah. You know, so it's, we often get it wrong. Dude, so I so, was thinking so if I can get my circumstances sorted, I'll be okay inside. Right. Whereas God says, no, I mean, I actually change you inside yeah. and I'm going to, by my spirit, make you a person who's loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, gentle, you know, so I'm going to work that through my spirit. And then basically all of your life circumstances are going to be your classroom for seeing that fruit exhibited. Right. What a different way to walk into every, every day. Like, oh, this is God's schoolhouse for me to bear fruit today. We think of bearing fruit as, oh, I shared the gospel with 10 people. Mm -hmm. It may be. Yeah. But most often I think it is, here's your set of circumstances for today. May the spirit work in you in such a way that you are such a person of hope. And I always think about the verse that says, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that's in you. Yeah. Well, often we look just like the world and are just as hopeless and just as discontent and just as envious. And we're always searching for more. I was really, I'm really convicted. How many people come up to me and say, Hey, Melissa, tell me about the hope. You're always, you have this hope in you. You're walking through life totally different than me. Tell me about that. Yeah. That maybe that's the best witness to, to who God is. And, um, you know, so it just, so that that's where it came about, but basically it was this passage in the book of Joshua, the MVV, this is where it came from. And it talks about how Achan, he saw, he coveted, he took, and he hid. And that same pattern is in the garden. Eve saw the fruit. She coveted it. She took and she hid. If you look at David, he saw, he lusted, he took Bathsheba and he tried to hide what he had done. I mean, everywhere in scripture is the same pattern. Um, And then we have Christ who came and redeemed the pattern. Um, And he, he in the, in basically faced, it's, it's really interesting when you look at scripture because you have a garden of Eden. Achan takes place in the promised land. Like these are two great circumstantial 
Eve was in the best circumstance ever. She actually had a perfect husband. Right. <laughs> she, she still found herself coveting. Aiken is finally in the promised land. Finally there. And he he still deals with this problem of envy. And then we have Jesus, who's in a desert wilderness. He hasn't eaten for 40 days and he's alone. And yet he obeys. Yeah. Because it outer circumstances didn't fuel his inner contentment. His who he was produced outward fruit versus the opposite happening. And so it's a beautiful kind of picture of almost like Christ saying, I'm coming in the worst of circumstances and I will obey because of who I am. And therefore, and now the good news for us is that resurrection power of Christ is in us. So we, if the Holy Spirit lives in us, we actually have the power of Christ to resist. We, we don't have to live in that see, covet, take, hide pattern anymore. We can live free of it. Um, and we have the power to be content. Anyway, that's the, that's the spiel. That's where it came from. No, but that's, it's, that's such um, a, um, yeah, that's so much of what you said is so profound there and helpful. Melissa, thank you. I, I, I think about contentment as a under emphasized fruit of the spirit. And I, one of the verses I memorized in high school that I, I've still, I memorized in the NIV, um, and I use ESV now, but it's um, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, um, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And what a beautiful promise. Uh, for we brought nothing into this world and we'll take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content. There's that word again, content with that. Um, and then it just talks about the dangers of not being content and how that can literally destroy your faith and send you to hell. Yeah. Um, yeah. Many have wandered away is what it says by lusting after things of the world. And let me, let me ask a, a, a question that's, that might arise from this discussion though. Like does contentment mean that I'm passive? <laughs> like, cause so much good in the world has come out of um, uh, what well, some people might say a holy discontent, like something mm-hmm. is wrong and I'm not going to settle for it. Yeah. So yeah. is, is, is contentment at odds with that or how do we make sense of contentment and things that are just wrong in the world that yeah, we shouldn't I, be content with? Absolutely. I would definitely say contentment is not apathy or even a lack of emotions. Cause mm-hmm. sometimes we say, I'll just stifle desire. So therefore I'll never be discontent. Well, that's, that's not it either. Cause you know, we have Jesus weeping tears of blood before the crucifixion saying, father, if it's your will take this cup from me. So, you know, he was, he was feeling real emotions. He was feeling really distressed. We have Paul who says, I labor more than everybody. You know, he's, he, he's not, yeah, I strive with everything that is in me to take hold of that's what's taken hold of me. You know, so he, he definitely had this passion. It's not a passionless life. In fact, I think what it is, is I am so inwardly settled that my God will only work good to me, that I can lead an absolutely revolutionary life. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is this deep, deep settledness that everything, it's Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And if he has given Christ for me, will he not also give me all things? Yeah. It's this whole picture of my life is so satisfied in who he is and what he is doing that I can live completely abandoned in view of God's mercies. I can live as a living sacrifice 
and 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 that, that's being burned up and dying yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. in some sense while alive but it's so settled in the matter of i understand who i am and i understand that god has rescued me from the dominion of darkness and so now i can live boldly and resolutely for Christ. So there is a right um, passion that actually comes from a deep inward contentment. Actually, I think it can't come without the contentment Amen. because we're actually always going to be chasing our idols. That's right. And so we'll spend all of our good passion on ourselves, if not first fueled by a holy contentment that leads to what you were saying, a holy discontentment about right. the state of the world and how things are. And right. so it's, but that, that first inward has to come and then we can actually do outward good. That's right. Um, but it's, it's, it's a fight. I think yeah. it will be the battle. I'll be battling it at 80 and I'm looking at, sure. you know, your rest home and I'm like, man, you got better applesauce than me or whatever, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, like, it's a battle. It's a battle. <laughs> oh man. I, I, um, I remember John Piper saying this, um, probably multiple times, but like Christian life is the life of joyful discontent. Mm, and I think yeah. that's his way of summarizing what you're saying. Like I'm joyful because my identity is secure. God is my provider. I don't have to lust after all these things that I don't have. God is my provider and he's good and he loves me. He's my father and he's sovereign. And, and so I've got joy in the midst of all of this swirling around me, including, you know, the world, the, my own flesh, and the devil, and that creates a lot of discontent mm -hmm. um, of things that are wrong that need to be made right. But it's like a paradox of the Christian life. There's a lot of those, you know, um, you know. But the the Bible just simply assumes it, and mm -hmm. um, and so I, I really appreciate what you said. I I fully agree that um, apart from contentment, um, our hearts are just restless. Mm -hmm. And and Christ is the only way. The gospel is the only way. Like knowing who I am in Christ um, brings that contentment. Um, doesn't mean it's gonna be easy, right? Mm -mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. But it's, yeah, I'm actually always encouraged because the same person, Paul, who said I've learned the secret of being content in all things, also said things like, uh, "Let me tell you about the difficulties we experienced in Asia. We despaired of our lives." That's right it's the same person. Um, and so I think sometimes we have a misguided notion of contentment that makes us think it's like Pollyanna sitting on a hammock with a like iced tea or something. Um, whereas it's, it's such a different, it's such a different strength. It's such a stronger thing than that yes. version of it. And yeah. so this is someone who is, Paul was whipped and beaten and daily bore the burdens of the church. And he yeah. shared those things. He didn't hide those. They're in his yep. letters. Yep. And yep. I think he's saying, no, Contentment isn't really about, we can, we can still be honest about what's happening to us. We can still say, this is really hard. Um, and we can still share those struggles and say, yet I am convinced um, that God, because of who he is, whatever he takes, he, he is using for my gain yeah. in some way. Amen. Amen. Well, Melissa, this has been a great conversation and it's such a joy to have met you and um, in person I think I've met you from your writing uh, in the past, but man, I'm so excited um, to see what God is going to use you uh, to lead in the future with Gospel Coalition and the things that you're writing. And so I just look forward to to more and, um, and I hope some of our people at church will check out your books and um, benefit from the way that 
the Spirit is working through you. So thanks for your time today, and um, we so appreciate you. Thanks so much for having me. It's been so great to chat. Thank you.